Good morning. My name is Shailen Copes, and our scripture reading today is found in Revelations 1, 9 through 18. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of our God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the last, first and the last. I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and hell. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right. This is the uh, vision of Jesus. This this is what John saw. Uh, This is what Jesus knew John needed to see if he was going to be able to make it through that challenge of being in prison at the end of his life. This was the picture of Jesus that John had to pass on to those seven churches who were going through all of the challenges that they faced. You see, what they needed to know when you go through tough times, Christians, we need to know what, what Jesus is like, right? We need to know, is he capable? Does he have the strength uh, to do what he says he's going to do? And we need to know whether he's trustworthy and actually is going to, to do it. And what John has to see is that God, Jesus is going to leave him in that prison for a while, but that Jesus knew what he was doing and that he was worthy of faithfulness and trust in the midst of all of this. And so Jesus gives him this vision. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus said to John in verse 11. Write what you see. Write what you see. Now, for me, it's easier to write what I hear. And especially when it's this kind of a vision. How do you write this remarkable, glorious thing that that he saw? He used language that he knew, and we'll look a little bit at it both this week and next week. I I can imagine, though, many of the church, as I see, would then write down and say, this is what I saw. Can't you imagine some of the church people, if they were like Southern Californians, saying, why did he get the vision and all we get is what he wrote about it? I can just hear some of us here saying, you know... If I had a vision of Jesus like that at Lake Avenue Church, I'd never, what, what would, I'd never have any temptations again, right? 
I'd never have any doubts again. Why does, why does other, another person get a vision and, and I don't get that? I can hear them say, why does he get to see Jesus and I just get his book? Well, I have just think, because I know some people say that, I have a couple of things I want you to think about. Uh, one, did you know that usually simply a vision or a miracle or a wonder doesn't always have the lasting impact on our lives that we think it might? There are many times that God has done things in a lot of our lives and then six months later we think, boy, I need something else and, and bigger this time. Did you know that happens? We forget or we wonder if it was real. Uh, do you remember what Jesus said? He did all these miracles for people when he was here. And then in John chapter six, he says this this perverse generation, all they want are signs and wonders. They want them, not me. And then there's this remarkable story in Luke chapter 16 where a rich man dies and he says, God, why don't you send somebody back to the dead from my, from the dead to my relatives? Because if they saw somebody like that, then they'd believe. And you know what God says, if they don't believe the scriptures, they're not going to believe even if I send somebody back from the dead. So there. OK, I don't know if you're going to believe this. I'm going to look out and see if I think you do. There are some ways that it's better to have what's written than to get a vision like this. I don't know if you really believe me when, when I say that. A, a part of what can happen is when we have it written, we can go back to it, ponder on it, chew on it, think about it. When, it, when it's written, a preacher in Pasadena can pull it up and uh, talk about what was written. So that's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to try to use my words to talk about what he wrote as he was supposed to write what he saw. Because... When they would read this and when uh, in the early church, people who went through some hard times and challenging times, when they saw that Jesus is like this, it changed their lives and gave them hope. And I believe that there's some way that God will give me the grace to be able to communicate with my words what he saw and that he wrote that whenever you face whatever you face in this world, you'll look back and say, but that's who he is. So I will trust him. So what did John see when he saw Jesus? Uh, I'm going to use words. And I'm going to show you a couple of pictures, too. And today I'm just going to talk about two of them. First, what I think he saw, I call it this. He saw Jesus happy and sad. Jesus happy and sad. I pulled out a couple of the verses from Revelation 1. So Jesus loves us. When Jesus sees you and me, he loves us. Um, and that brings joy, doesn't it? But also notice that it, in order to free us from our sins, it took his blood. You see the happy, the sad. Or in verse 18, Jesus' own words, I died. The sadness. But I am alive evermore. Now, now I call it uh, Jesus happy and sad because it's the title of a rather profound picture by a little four-year-old girl Named Maura Cronin. I, I think you can find it up here. Can you get that picture up that Maura uh, drew? This came at four-year-old girl. I wanted to keep it up here for just a while. I want you to look at that and think about it. I, I think it's remarkable. It came about because she was in a Sunday school. And, and she heard this first message, uh, Jesus loves you, Maura. And that knows that love brings happiness. But then uh, uh, the, this lesson said, because of your sins, because of our sins, things wrong in our life, which even as a four-year-old, she knew that. He had to die for us. She said, Jesus is happy, but he's also sad because of my sin. 
But this one who died, sadness, defeated death by a resurrection. Jesus, happy and sad. And I really feel like Mora in this, this picture was able to capture so much of what Jesus was showing John in Revelation chapter 1. Intuitively, this little girl was able to uh, grasp and, and draw a picture about what Hebrews 12.2 says. We, we need to think about Jesus. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to contemplate Jesus who, you know what it says, for the joy, Jesus happy, set before him, endured a cross, because that cross would bring about our redemption. So, what do I mean when I say Jesus is happy and sad when I read Revelation chapter 1? I, I, I want you to know that when Jesus looks at you, that there is a happiness. We often don't think that often God is portrayed as just looking at the things wrong in us and he's going to zap us if we don't get it right. And the book of Revelation is preached that way. People go immediately to Revelation 19 that evil is going to be judged and evil will be judged. But it begins with God loving the world and Jesus loving you and me. So when, when Jesus sees us, he sees the very height of his creation. Uh, day six of creation made in his image. When, when he sees the magnificence of, of what has been created in us. And when he sees what you and I can be. If we bring him back into the center of our lives. It brings great, great joy to the Lord. He delights in what he made us to be. So what John gets it in verse 4 when it, he really says, He has set his love on you. I, I want you always to know that. Sometimes people say, Oh, God is just a God of wrath. I said, You haven't read much about Jesus, have you? Read, read through the Gospel of Luke and you will see it. But Mora was right. He, he is sad when he sees people made in his image, leaving him out of their lives. He is sad when he sees you and me living in ways completely destructive of the way he created us to live. And the Bible's word for that is what makes him sad is our sin. He created this is the way we're to live. And the very heart of what the Bible calls sin is putting ourselves into God's place. It all started in Genesis 3. People, I mean, everything was so great when they walked and talked with God at the center of their lives, living the way he created us to, to, to live. But in Genesis 3, no, no, we've got a better way. I, I'm going to live the way I want to live. And it, it ruined their lives as it does ours. It, it affected other people around them and it, and, and it destroyed our world. And that makes Jesus sad when he sees us walking away from him. The amazing thing is that he still loves us. And, and that's something I want you to grab hold of. That no matter what you have done or what's in your past, that this love of Jesus for you has not changed. In fact, that's why he came and died for you. And just as much as our sin brings sadness to the heart of Jesus, he says, I have died for your sins. Our return to him brings him great joy. So immediately, I just want to say to you, if you see some things in your thinking or your attitudes or things you've been doing that you know that doesn't please God, give them back to him. He'll cast them as far as east is from the west. He'll, he'll wash you clean. This one who's, who's, uh, who, whose head was like wool and like snow, the purity of Jesus, when we aren't that, is ready to say you're right with me again. 
Uh, it's, it's an amazing thing that he says, yes, your evil will be judged because if evil isn't judged in this world, it's not a good world. But I found a way to bear the punishment for your sin. That's what the, that's what the Jesus crucified is about. And to say that in me, you are right with God. Hallelujah. Right. That's the good news that brings us here. Now, so that makes him sad. And I think that Jesus is also sad when he looks at the effects of centuries of people's sin upon this world that he made. That when he sees poverty and addiction, when he sees governments gassing their own people, when he sees abuse, when he sees injustice, again, read the accounts in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus saw this, it gripped his heart and he would step in and he was still the Jesus happy and sad when we would see a woman who was taken in prostitution. He offered her an opportunity for forgiveness and shalom. When he saw a man even like Zacchaeus who'd gotten himself into this mess for his own financial gain. Luke 19. He rejoiced and went over to his home when Zacchaeus was willing to bring him back into his life. So even though our sin brings sadness to God, our return to him brings such great, great joy. So so let me tell you this today. If you've come and you know that there are some things in your life that don't please God, that's a serious matter. That is a serious matter before God. But he has found a way to deal with the seriousness of our sin and to declare us as his own. He died in our place on the cross. Now. Now down to Southern California. Uh, yeah, secular people often try to tell me that they don't believe in judgment. God doesn't know about all this stuff and he doesn't really judge uh, uh, sin. People say that, but do you know that nobody really wants that? So when awful things happen in our world, children in our public schools being killed by, by shooters... Uh, governments gassing their own people. Then what I hear in the media and I hear all around me, even from the people who said, no, there's no such thing as judgment, is somebody ought to do something about that. I mean, isn't that what our world is wrestling with right now? Whenever wrong things happen, everybody says somebody ought to do something about that. But then we say, who should do it? And our world systems never do it perfectly. We've got to pray for our governments. But still, at the end of the day, God says, but I'm going to make sure that all evil is dealt with. So sometimes people say, when I preach a message like this, they say, oh, well, God doesn't judge. But we want him to. We don't want to let evil just proliferate. This world can't be a just world unless evil is judged. Just mark it down. Now, churchgoers, many of you nod and say, well, yes, those awful sins out there. They're going to be judged. Read Revelation chapter 19. So you people had better start being good. We mean really good. And it comes across as self-righteous, doesn't it? It just makes people mad. But the Bible says, now listen to me, that the one who made us is the same one who's going to be the judge at the end of the time. And this one who made us and will be the judge at the end of the time chose to step into this world at the middle of time in Bethlehem and then lived the life we should live, but none of us has. More than that, he said, because I am not in the same mess they are in, I can put myself in their place. He was willing to put himself into our place and take the punishment I and you deserve. 
He took our judgment on himself. That's the heart of the gospel. And so Jesus offers forgiveness and a new life to all of us who will turn away from what's wrong, who will believe in him and who will follow him. So so it's it's something like this. Did, Did you go to that Lake Avenue church and that preacher Waybright pointed out that there's some things in your life that have to be judged? Well, he's right, you know. I think God would say that. He's right, you know. But you don't have to be afraid. Verse 17. Jesus says, for I was dead. I died for you. I went to hell for you so you don't have to. I was judged for you. Bring me into your life. And I love verse 18. I have the keys. I have the keys to open up the door that locks you of death and that sets you free from the hell of this world. And I'm I'm just telling you, I don't know if I'm saying it. This is making a bit of sense to you. That, That when you and I get this, it changes our lives. When this becomes real to us, we can't be the same. It's what Paul would say about when I, when I got this, 2 Corinthians 5, I couldn't live anymore just for myself, the way we all want to live. That just ruins me. But I'm going to live for him who died and rose again. And, and how are we going to live? We're going to live the way John lived. Willing to give a witness even if it ends up in us being in prison. And we're going to live the way Jesus lives. When we go out, we're going to be Christians happy and sad. That's what we're going to be. We're going to be happy when we see people because people are loved by God and there's something beautiful about all people. But we're going to be sad when people turn away from him and don't want to know Jesus. And we're really going to be sad when we see the effects of evil upon the people of this world. And that's why when God puts a church like Lake Avenue Church, if if God reigns here, Jesus reigns here, then when you and I go out and in our schools, Christine, uh, there are kids who are hurting and our teachers don't have enough and... And we have something, just like Jesus always extended himself to the pains of the world, that's what we're going to do. When we see homeless people, we're going to say, that's not right. God didn't make people to live that way. But when we see people in our community caught in trafficking, and that's in Southern California too, you know. We're going to say, that's not right. And, and, and we're going to do, because we represent Jesus here and we've experienced his grace, we're going to do whatever he enables us to do. To make a difference in this world where he has placed us. He has put us here in this place for a reason. And when good things happen, when people come to Jesus, we're going to be happy. And even even our little efforts help provide a ruler or a marker or somebody that's a blessing. We're going to be happy. This is the picture of Jesus we see in Revelation 1. I love you. He's happy. But you better shape up. <laughs> that's what you, believe in me. Listen to me. Hear me and obey. You will love it. Well, time's about gone, but I've got to tell you, show you one more picture. And that is Jesus happy and sad. But Revelation 1, it's also, and I, I call it this, the Jesus we believe in is above us and also among us. Does that make sense to you? He's above us, but he's also among us. So I'll show you a few verses. Verse 16. So when I saw him, his face... It was like the sun shining in full strength. I was telling you that this past week, that sun was shining in some pretty full strength. Don't, don't you think? 
And then this same one, in the midst of the lampstands, which is the church, in the midst with them was one like the Son of Man. Now, I've got to summarize way too briefly something that's so beautiful and powerful about the way John wrote what he saw. Um, all right. How do I make it short? Um, this language that John uses, he saw Jesus. How is he going to write what he saw? The words that he used almost all come out of the Old Testament, out of his scriptures. And especially his description of Jesus. Almost all of the language, that, when you read that, verses 9 to 18, it almost all comes right out of the book of Daniel. And when you see the phrases and words that he used, all these powerful phrases, uh, almost all of them refer in the Old Testament to the Almighty God himself. In other words, what John saw is the very presence and power of God in Jesus. He saw someone who doesn't have the limitations that we have. So that when we're in a world where there's so much that is wrong, and we say it's too much that's wrong for us to make any difference, you look at Jesus and say, when he's done with his work, it's going to be right because he is not limited the way you and I are. Theologians call that transcendence. He's not the same as we are. He is not limited the way that we are. And when he, um, when he says, I'm going to do something, it's going to happen. So that when you read the book of Revelation, it penetrates through the whole book of Revelation. All the trouble that the people have in chapters 2 and 3. By the time you get to 21 and 22, it's all going to be right. No more tears, no more poverty, no more death. It's all going to be right. He has the power to do it. You see why he says you've got to see Jesus as he is. It's a little bit like what C.S. Lewis tried to get at in his Prince Caspian, A Return to Narnia. Do you know the stories of Narnia? If you don't read them, I don't care how old you are. They're children's books, but I love them. Uh, Prince Caspian, the little girl named Lucy, goes back into the country of Narnia. And she had met this lion who's the Christ figure in the first book. And then she goes back in and he comes and sees her. And, and it was the same Aslan, but somehow he was different. And here's this wonderful scene. Aslan, says Lucy, you're bigger That is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. That's what happened here. John had seen him before and he was great. He sees him now and he is bigger, (laughs) which means he's sufficient Now, you've got to see that this powerful, big Jesus doesn't immediately take John out of the prison. It brings up all sorts of questions that I'm going to end the sermon with. But I want you to know he didn't take him out because he wasn't there. It's because he says that's important for something much, much better to happen. Which brings me to the other part of Jesus. He's not just up there. He is also among us. And I love the phrases that are there. Verse 13 Jesus was among them like a son of man. Now, even if you don't know the Bible very well, do you know where that comes from? Again, it's Daniel, Daniel, Daniel 7. Do you know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? That when they were slapped into that fiery furnace, and that they weren't consumed, and the people looked in there, they saw a fourth person and one like, like a son of man. Now, once again, he didn't take them immediately out of the fire. 
So there was something he wanted to do there, but he was there with them. And that's what Jesus, he puts his hand on, G, on John's shoulder, his right hand. He said, you don't have to be afraid. You don't. I, I was dead and I'm alive, so I can handle this thing. Now, this is what theologians have wonderfully called uh, the, the fact that Jesus is both transcendent and imminent. He's above us. He's not limited the way we are, he, but he is with us. I have a picture here that my son Brandon showed me. I talked to him about it. I sent him a picture. He said, that's not a very good picture. He knew I'd like this one because I like tennis. Uh, just think about that picture. There, there's a very real presence there. And, and yet it must come from something beyond itself. The, the shoes. I wonder what on earth. It must be a Californian because they don't have any toes uh, on there. You see it. When you think about it, the more I've thought about it, the more profound it is. It's, it's one who we don't always see or touch, but in many ways makes himself known that he is with us. That's what John saw. In the midst of what I'm facing, you've got to pull back and say, what is Jesus like? And what the Bible tells you is he is sufficient for whatever you are facing. Temptations, problems, even if you're approaching death. He is greater than all of it. That's, that's what John saw. And that he's not distant. He is here with us now. I know this too. That when we hold these two things that the Bible teaches about God, it brings a huge personal and philosophical problem up. Why is it that if God is who he says he is and has all power and is also present with us, that he allows such awful things to happen in his world? Why does he do that? Uh, this week, and I'll end with this, this past week when I was on vacation, I was out playing tennis, uh, and, a, and a man comes up. He had come there. He was an executive with an airline, and um, he was there with his partner, um, not on the tennis court, but he was there vacationing with his partner, and he came up and he wanted to play tennis. And uh, then he found out that I'm a man of the cloth. And he, he, uh, this, this made it an interesting discussion uh, as we began talking about things. And this very successful man, who was also a great tennis player, um, began, and when he, re- when he realized that I was really wanting to and ready to listen to him and to engage with him and, and the issues, and felt that the issues he brought up to me were very real issues, opened up so much of his life to me. And, and what he talked about, and I've gotten permission to, to tell you about this, what he began to talk about was the fact that he had grown up in a very conservative church. It was a very uh, highly Pentecostal church, but it was a church where his parents were leaders in the church. So externally, they seemed to be very religious, but in his home, constantly, ongoing way, he experienced abuse of all kinds. And not only there, but also in the religious setting, too. All right. So up here I get and he's And he knew... Uh, what I'm teaching you about Jesus here now. And he said, how can he be who he says he is and allow this to happen? Why doesn't he step in and stop that when it takes place? And he brought up things. So here's what we for. And he came back the next day and we played again. We would play a couple of games and then talk, 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 talk. We'd go play a couple of games and we would talk. talk. So I can't go over the whole conversation, but this is essentially what, what I tried to talk about. I said, all right, it, it seems like 
You feel like you have a better way to bring about justice than God says he has. He said, I don't want to be that arrogant. <laughs> but but still, it, it, I said, isn't that true? You feel like that if he would step in every time there was an abuse or a wrong and just undo it, then we'd have a much better and more just world. I said, can you imagine that? A world in which every time each one of us had anything in our minds or in our thoughts and our actions that are wrong, that God steps in and zaps it. Just think about that kind of a world. Just think about you listening to the sermon and, 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 and just as you were listening, you stopped and you thought, oh, no, I, I want to think about sports or food. And God zaps you because you're not listening to the preacher preach. Can you imagine a world like that? I'll tell you, just think about it. There, there, it, it would be a living hell, that, that kind of a world. So I tried to keep talking. We go back and forth. Yes, yes, I said, but. Would say. And then I tried, and I tried to take him all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, that this Jesus says at the end of the day, evil is going to be judged, Revelation 19. Everything is going to be good and right. It's, it's almost like a parent turning to a child and saying, I know you don't want to experience that, but that is necessary for this to happen. Is it possible? That as bad as these awful things are, that someday we're going to be there and we're going to say, that really was upsetting to me. But I see why that was possible for this to happen. Because when you think about it, God made us in his image. And one of the beautiful parts of that is it means that, that our lives matter. What, what, what we do makes a difference in this world. The good things make a difference, but the bad things have a negative impact on this world. If God is going to treat us as we are, as people made in his images, then our choices and decisions are going to have an impact on the world that we are in. If he's just always just to turn them over, it's bizarre, it's absurd. But God says, I still am God and I know what I'm doing. Trust me. This is hard for me sometimes to talk to you about. When we lost our own child back a number of years ago and when my brother was killed by a drunk driver, I'll tell you, I look at those things and I look at the things I read about from the paper and I say, I'm going to preach about the fact that that is necessary for this to happen. I mean, I can resonate with my friend's questions. And yet I've come to the point that I have to take John 14 seriously. When the disciples said, why on earth are you going to die, Jesus? Jesus simply said, you believe in God, don't you? Then trust me. I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going, and I'm doing it for you. And so it always comes back to this question. Is he worthy of our trust? And what John is saying in John 1, in Revelation 1, is that you need to see him as he is. And you need to trust that what he says is going to happen out of this awful world is going to happen. And I pray that you will find the grace, the strength, and I think the wisdom simply to turn to God and to say, I am going to live for you. I'm going to hear what you have said and I'm going to obey. And my prayer for each one who comes to Lakes today is that we will hear what he said to John. Jesus saying to us, whatever we are facing, fear not. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died. But behold, I am alive forevermore. 
And I have the keys to death and to hell. Hold on to that. Hold on to that. To his glory. Amen.